0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today, today,
1: today, today Today with Jeff Fines, We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Finds. Hey there. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Finds. My name's Aaron. No matter where you are in your walk, there is something for you to take out of part 2 of this message and I am so excited to experience it with you. Pastor Jeff left us asking the question, what's your anchor in life? And does it go down far enough or is it not really doing its job? We're about to continue looking at some of Abraham's trust issues with God in Genesis chapter 15. And it's through those trust issues that we're able to better understand why and how we can further trust in our anchor, God. So let's continue this message together now with Pastor Jeff.
1: If you put your anchor down in the water and it's not down in the rocks, then the ebb and flow of life is going to do a number on your faith and your trust and your ability to live the big life. Now, that's the first problem. second problem is this. For some of us, we have the right anchor, but it doesn't go deep enough. You you believe somewhere down deep inside in your soul, and your soul knows very well that there's a God, and you believe that he's large, but you're not convinced he's in charge. Because if he were in charge, these things that are happening to you in your life would not happen in your mind. So yes, you believe God, but your anchor doesn't go down so deep that you trust the promises of God, that he has a hope, that he has a plan, that he has a future to prosper you. You simply don't really believe it. Now, here's the good news. God knows we have trust issues. He's okay. He's not angry. But he knows if you're ever going to be able to live the big life, He's got to get your anchor down in the deep water, into something that does not shift or change. And the reason Abraham was able to live a big life and be called the friend of God was not because he was anything special, not because he had more talents and abilities than you, not because he was just had a resolve that is unexplainable. It's because God helped him get the anchor down. And here's how. In chapter 15, verse eight, Abram's response to all these promises, he says, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Look at that. How can I know? Isn't that the issue? God, how can I know that you're going to bless my people and we're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that through our generations will come one who will Bless all nations. How can I know this land that you're going to give me? How can I know that you'll give me this child? How can I know? And we're doing the same thing. How can we know, God, that you plan to prosper us? How can we know that you will fulfill the promises you have made? How can we know that you'll work all these things that are happening in my life out together for your good? How can I be so sure? And notice in the text, God does not say, Abraham, how dare you ask me that? Who do you think you are? Don't you know I'm God? God is big enough to handle Abraham's doubt. Instead... God loves Abraham and says, I know your problem issue. You got to trust issue. I know your problem, Abraham. I'm going to help you get the anchor down. Here's what happens in verse 9. So the Lord said to him, this is interesting, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half, the birds then came, or then birds of prey came, rather, down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, this is bizarre. You know what God's asked Abraham to do. Think about it. Abraham says, I want Sorry, God says, I want you to get your anchor down. I'm going to help you. So here's how we're going to do it. I want you to go get some animals and cut them into pieces and lay them opposite each other so that there's a trench between the two. Now, what's bizarre is Abraham doesn't say, you want me to do What? It's like Abraham knows exactly what God is about to do. In fact, anybody in the ancient world that would have read this text would have known exactly what God is about to do, and I want to help you understand what he's doing. How do we prove that we're going to keep a promise? Handshake, maybe. Contract. It's called signing your name. In the case of homes, it's called signing your life away. (laughs) When we do weddings... Uh, you have what is called the signing of the register. And it will happen right in the middle of the wedding ceremony. Everyone will remain quiet. Somebody, some, Sometimes someone will play guitar, someone will sing, but you'll approach this beautiful table laid out with a gold pen and legal documents from the government on the table. And at some point during the ceremony, the, the, the bride will kneel down first and she will sign her name and then the groom and all the witnesses. And what you're doing is you're signing a contract. You're saying, I promise to be faithful to this man as long as we both shall live. And if I do not do this, I understand the ramifications. Wow. When Robin and I bought our first house, I mean, we've lived all our lives in trailers and farmhouses uh, in Africa, New Zealand, wherever. When we came here, it was the first time we had the opportunity to purchase a house. And Yoli, our real estate agent extraordinaire, uh, said, Jeff, when we go to sign these papers, I just want to tell you there's going to be a lot of papers. Reams and reams. I could not believe it. And I had to sign an initial and sign an initial and sign an initial. It took forever. And basically what I was doing, you've got to trust your agent. Because they're basically telling you, you're signing this now and here's what you're doing. Because who's going to read all that? And it's in lawyer language anyway. Who understands it? But I read enough to know that here's what I'm basically doing. I'm signing my life away. I promise to pay this money to buy this house. And if I don't, I understand the ramifications that my life is over. I'm making a contract. Now, both of those examples illustrate how we convince somebody that we're going to keep our word. We say, we'll sign. Now, if you don't sign, you're not held responsible for the ramifications of breaking the promise. But if you sign your name, man, that's a legal document. You are held responsible. Now, here's the beauty of this passage. Dr. Tim Keller tells us that Abraham did not live in a written culture. He lived in an oral storytelling culture, which means that when you made a contract with somebody, you would act out the ramifications or consequences of your unfaithfulness before God and everybody else. Which is why in Jeremiah 34, this is what we read. The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, says God, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between the pieces. So to make an oath in Abraham's day, you wouldn't sign a piece of paper or shake somebody's hand. How wimpy is that? Oh, if you wanted to make a contract, you got an animal, and you would slay it, and you would lay it on the ground, laying the pieces opposite each other, and you'd cut it into pieces, and then you yourself would walk between the pieces, illustrating this, if I don't do everything that I have promised to do, then may I be cut to pieces, may I be cut in half, may I be taken away from the land of the living into the land of the dead, May I be destroyed, and may my flesh lay on the ground as food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In other words, you acted out the curse. You said, if I don't do everything that I promised to do, may I be completely and utterly destroyed by God. In a culture that believed God would do it, and God did. So when Abraham's told to bring all the pieces, He knows exactly what's about to happen. It's a CRC, a covenant ratification ceremony. And if you're Abraham, you're thinking, wow, God is entering into a covenant with me. Wow, this is awesome. Because God's trustworthy. And now I know he's gonna keep all his promises. But Abraham could have never anticipated what happened next. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, this is very difficult to understand in Hebrew, but let me, let me tell the story. These two terms translated blazing torch and smoking pot are the same two symbols used to describe the presence of God when he came down on Mount Sinai to give Moses the Ten Commandments. It's also the same language used to describe the presence of God among the Israelites when they were rescued out of bondage in the land of Egypt. These two symbols, a blazing torch, a smoking pot, just think of something that's blazing round and round in darkness and fire coming out of the top as the presence of God representing this kind of glory of God. But what impressed Abraham so much was not so much the presence of God, but what the presence did. According to Genesis fifteen seventeen, the presence of God walked between the pieces. Now, I promise you, you're going to learn something now that... I doubt very seriously if you've ever known. The problem, the reason most of us don't live the big life and keep our head up high, where joy is central, sorrow only peripheral, is because number one, we have a question, and it's this. How can I really know about God? How can I trust God? How can I know he'll come through? How can I be so sure? How do I know he's really going to prosper me, that he has a hope, a plan, a future? How do I know? How do I know God will deliver And Abraham, remember this is for all generations, the heirs of the promise, that's us. He said to Abraham, I'll tell you how because I'm going to walk through the pieces. I promise to bless you. I promise to bring salvation to your house, to give you what your heart most desires. And when God walks through the pieces, here's what he's saying. If I don't do what I promise to do, may I be cut into pieces. May I be cut off from the land of the living. May my immutability suffer mutation. May my immortality suffer mortality. May my infiniteness suffer finitude. May I be cut off. May I be pierced and bruised and torn and destroyed. If I don't do everything, Abraham, I promise to do. Now, if you're Abraham, you're going to think, wow, how is that even possible? How can God be pierced and bruised and torn apart? How can the one who created life go into the land of the dead? How can he be torn to pieces? How can he come to ruin? This is God. And Abraham would have thought, wow, it's impossible. Therefore, I'm good. God's promises will be fulfilled because we already learned God cannot lie. So for us who are the heirs, God says, if you ever doubt again that you have a hope and a future and that I will deliver on everything I promised, everything, I'll walk through the pieces. Now, here's the deal. If we would have been there where Abraham... I think Abraham did the same thing we would do. And here's what we would do. Well, now that I've thought about it, God, I got to be honest. The real question never was, how can I know about you? It really isn't, is it? Come on. I mean, if God is real and He exists and He makes a promise, I mean, God's going to keep it. I mean, He's God. He's incapable of not keeping the promise. The real issue isn't, what about you? You know what the real issue is? What about me? God, when it's all said and done, I I guess I do trust you. I don't trust me. Because I'm afraid I'll do something really stupid to blow this. I'm afraid that I won't measure up. I'm afraid that I'll create a mess. I'm afraid, God, that I'm going to get to that time when all the promises you've made me are about to be fulfilled. And I'm going to look you in the eye and then you're going to look at me and say, really? Seriously? You couldn't keep your covenant with me for 24 hours. You couldn't go through a half a day without breaking your promises to me and now here we are. Now it's time for you to reap all the benefits and you're expecting me to keep every word of my covenant, right? That's, that's what we think will happen on the day. Abraham says, God, you said that you will be my God and I will be your people. And to tell you the truth, I don't doubt that you'll be my God. I'm, I just doubt that I'll be your people because God, I don't trust me. I know that I'm prone to wonder. I know that I don't do what's right a lot of the time. I know that I stray so far off the path. Sometimes I doubt you to such a degree. I'm not even sure you exist. God, I'm afraid that you'll grow weary of me, of all the promises that I've made you. I'll never lie again. I'll operate with complete integrity. I'll never do that again. And God, I break it. Where's the line of forgiveness? God, it's not you I'm worried about. It's me. How about you, God? You pass through the pieces. How about me, God? That's my real issue. And here's what I want you to notice. This is where understanding ancient civilization helps. When God walked through the pieces, notice what he did not do. He didn't turn around to Abraham and say, okay, Abraham, I did my part. Now you do yours. No. As a matter of fact, in the ancient civilization, when a king and a servant would make a covenant, the king and the servant would both walk through Sometimes only the servant would walk through, but never, ever would the king walk through alone. So when Abraham sees God walking through the pieces, he's he's thinking, "What, what is this? Folks, this is the gospel. It is not a cooperative effort, it is not God helps those who help themselves, it is not a partnership. When God does this, he looks straight into Abraham's eyes and says, Abraham, I know you're going to break the covenant. I know you will. I know you're going to break your promises, but you know what? I'm going to walk through for both of us. Now, do you get this? Is it dawning on you yet? What's happening here is a big wow. God says, Abraham, may I be cut off from the land of the living if I don't fulfill every promise I've made to you and the heirs, but Abraham, may I be cut off from the land of the living if you don't keep yours. Abraham, I'm so intent on blessing you that I'm going to bless you even if it means I have to die. And that's exactly what happened. And darkness fell over the earth in Mark chapter 15. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's cut off, Isaiah, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, though he had not done violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You see what happened on the cross? God died. His immortality did become mortality. His immutability did suffer mutation. The impossible became possible. God was cut off from the land of the living so that you and I would not have to be. Is it dawning on you yet how beautiful this is and that nobody else offers this to you? God is saying, I am so intent on blessing you and giving you a hope and a future and prospering you that it does not depend on your faithfulness but mine. That's shocking, isn't it? Oh, I love to see the look on people's faces when I say that. It's so anti-religion. It's because Christianity is not religion. It is good news, the good news, that God's faithfulness is not based on your activity but upon the covenant he made with Abraham. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that all my problems can be associated back to the fact that my anchor does not go deep enough. Why are we angry and bitter? Come on, those of you who are angry and bitter. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know why you're angry and bitter? Because you don't trust God's justice. You don't trust that in the end, he will bring everything to completion. And you want vengeance now. You know why we hate ourselves and we're riddled with self-doubt and low self-esteem issues? Because you don't trust the grace and love and mercy of God. You know why we disobey God? Because we don't trust his law. We say, if I live God's way, I might miss something. Even though my life stinks, I'm not gonna try God. It makes no sense. My anxiety, now I know mental illness is real, I, I know that, but I'm saying a lot of my anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, stress, all of that can be traced back to the reality then my anchor doesn't go deep enough. There's only one way for the anchor to go deeper. Only one way. God wants your anchor to go deep so that you live the big life, man. So that no matter what you're facing, you're good to go, head up high. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can get your anchor deep into the rocks to produce that kind of stability where joy is central, sorrow only peripheral is if you view your life through the cross where God walked through the pieces for you so that you would not have to. And only when that realization hits you hard will you then be able to say and understand that the promises of God are not based on your steadfastness and faithfulness, but upon God's steadfastness and faithfulness. You know why you're struggling with that? Because you wanna control God. You like religion if you're really honest. Because religion tells you, if I do these things, God has to bless me, even though you don't do them. But if I do these things and I live a good life, God's got to bless me. And God says, good luck with that. I'm going to go one better, even if you don't do those things. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will, you will be saved. How would you? Why, why would you not run to a God like that? That says, I'm so intent on blessing you, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna walk through the pieces for both of us. Because I know you're gonna blow it, but I never will. So go on and live your life and know that God loves you. And sure, repent when you fail, but know that God never left you. Because what Jesus did is he went into the land of the dead away from the land of the living as he walked through the pieces on your behalf God is always on your side go on all the promises will become a reality all of them every single one of them and you will stand before God one day and he will say enter in good and faithful servant and you will say God it really wasn't that good or that faithful and he will say I know I know You gave it the good college try, but it was never based on your faithfulness and goodness. It was based on mine, come on in. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word and I thank you for the promises that you have made in your word and I I just ask you, Lord Jesus, that our eyes would have been opened. So many of us get stuck in religious terminology. We get stuck in the idea that it's all based on us and what we do and how good we are and what you want is the simple admission that we are not good, nor could we ever be good enough. But you have walked through the pieces for us. You have been cut off from the land of the living so that we would never have to be. You have paid the penalty of our sins so that we could go free. And I pray in the short time we have left now that we would rejoice. Rejoice in your provision in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, it's my prayer and I know it's our prayer here at One and All Media that this message has encouraged you and that you feel inspired to seek the big life full of confidence and trust in God. Thanks for joining me for this message. And if you missed the first part of this message, or you just want to listen to more from Pastor Jeff, you can head to oneandall.media and make sure to join me next time for a new message in this series from Pastor Jeff about finding happiness.
1: First part of the metaphor is this. If you are not rooted into something outside yourself, into a life source greater than yourself, greater power than you have internally, if you're not rooted into something like that, you will wither and die.
0: Again, my name's Aaron, and I look forward to your company right here next time on Today with Jeff Finds.